Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. That is 2 Timothy chapter 1, read verses 1 to 7. <clears throat> Hear the word of the true and living God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Sends the reading of God's holy and inspired word. You may be seated. Good morning. Well, as many of you know, uh, Pastor Riley and myself were at Simeon Trust this week as a preacher's workshop, uh, and Brent and Kurt joined us for a few days as well. And just want you to know it was very encouraging. It was a great week. Uh, it's very fun to spend some time with a bunch of guys who really love God's Word, love God. Uh, it's always encouraging to be in that kind of context. And uh, we spent the week in 2 Timothy, basically going through uh, the whole book, looking at the context, uh, exegeting the passage. And uh, so that's why we're in 2 Timothy today. Uh, spent the week in it, figured we should preach from it. Now, in a nutshell, uh, what we learned this week, and hopefully what we already knew and was, it was just reinforced, uh, is the job of the preacher is to take the biblical text and to bring it to the people of God today. Now, uh, the hard part or the problem is that you can't just jump straight from one to the other or you'll run into problems, right? Consider Philippians 4.13. 4, Many of you know that. Sorry, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's right. But I can't jump off the Pioneer Center uh, expecting that my legs will be miraculously strengthened to break my fall, right? That would be uh, taking the text and going straight to myself and thinking, I can do whatever I want from that text. Right? That would be uh, severe error. So what do you have to do then? Well, uh, the first step is you take the text and then you have to consider what did this text mean to the original audience? And then we do something called theological reflection, which basically is a fancy term for uh, thinking about how the text connects to the gospel and to Jesus Christ. Right? In the gospels we read, or Jesus says, you search the scriptures, you think that in them you have eternal life, but it's they that testify about me, right? So Jesus says, scriptures are about me. And so uh, the job of the preacher is to find out, okay, how is this text about Christ, right? How is it pointing to the gospel? So we consider what it means to the original audience, 
Uh, We consider how it connects to the gospel, how it connects to Christ or points to him. And then after you have all that data, well, now you have to put it in a speech or a form of persuasion, uh, right, a sermon, and bring it to the people. So I was reminded again that preaching is not a task for the faint-hearted. It is a difficult job, uh, but on the other hand of that, it is a joyful calling. Now I'll give you a few quick clues, and then we'll jump into the text about uh, how to do these steps. One of the biggest interpretive rules uh, is context. Now you've heard this a lot, I hope, coming through the pulpit, because this is important while you're reading your Bibles too. Right? You're always interpreting the Bible, and you want to interpret the Bible as correctly as possible. So there's two main uh, categories of context uh, that are important to consider. There's a few more, but these are the, the big ones. The first one is literary, and that basically means what came before and what comes after our text, because that will help us understand. Now today we're in the beginning of 2 Timothy, so nothing comes before, right? Well, actually... The book of 1 Timothy came before, right? Paul wrote to Timothy either months or years before the second letter to Timothy, and so it would be helpful to know, well, what has he already told Timothy? Uh, that might give us some clues as to what he's talking about today. Now, historical is the other category, historical context, which basically is asking, what do we know about the book and the background of the people of the time? What do we know about the author, the audience, those kinds of questions. So for 2 Timothy, uh, it's fairly easy. You look at the first verse, you see Paul is writing uh, the book. You look at the second verse, you see he's writing to Timothy. Right? So this is uh, a pastor, a preacher, a missionary writing to one of his pupils. Um, another very important factor here is where Paul is at the time, which is in prison. Right? He's in a Roman prison And he knows that his time is at an end. He knows he's about to die. Uh, He tells us this in chapter 4, verse 6. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Now, I think we all know that people usually speak their most important words when they know that they're about to die. And we see this in movies all the time, right? Someone's dying. What do the other people do? They gather around. What is this man or woman going to say right before uh, they pass on? And I experienced this as as a child of 12 years old. My grandma was on her deathbed. She had cancer, and one night was particularly bad, and we all thought, this is the night. So what happened was we all ended up going into her room, and she would tell us essentially her last words. These are my final uh, commands. These are my final encouragements, and those are things that stick with you. So that is what we have here in 2 Timothy. These are his parting words. Uh, Daryl Young, he's one of the pastors, uh, the leaders of that workshop this week. Uh, What he said is, this is like uh, the 60-year-old Daryl going back to the 20-year-old Daryl and giving him advice. So this is Paul, uh, the older, experienced one, passing on his wisdom to Timothy, passing off the baton. And we see that more as we get throughout the book. So I do invite you this afternoon, if you have some time, uh, read the rest of the book uh, and enjoy the encouragement that Paul gives to Timothy. Let's pray and ask God to bless on this preaching. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity we have to look at your word. 
And we pray now that you would give me clarity of thought and speech, help me to explain your text faithfully and accurately, help your people to listen well, help them to understand. And Lord, as they go from here, uh, may that text bear fruit in their lives. We thank you that you give us this gift, and we thank you that you grant us the Holy Spirit who helps us to understand and discern your truth. We pray now that he would be working. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to keep them open to 2 Timothy. And let's uh, read that first verse. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now you've heard this numerous times. If you've read Paul's letters, you know that he he starts all his letters very similarly. Uh, And here again, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Right, he's saying, I'm an apostle, I have authority by the will of God. This isn't just my message. This isn't just me coming up uh, with something new or me just uh, going around as, as some guy who thinks he's better than what he is. Uh, this is Paul, an apostle of Christ by the will of God. So this is Paul's uh, establishment of divine authority for his letter. And then we see, he says, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Now, in all of Paul's intros, he's always got something unique in each book. uh, He'll make one little statement here, one statement there that's a little different. And this is that one, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Now, often what ends up happening is that ends up being a theme throughout the book. And that's exactly what happens here. Uh, The promise of the life in Christ is repeated throughout the book, and it's contrasted with this theme of suffering, which is uh, kind of one of the other main themes. So it's this idea that, Timothy, you're going to have to suffer, right? But you have the foundation of the gospel, the promise of life, right? Eternal life, right? If you die, you're not truly dead, right? In in 2.11, We see, if we have died with him, we will also live with him, right? And this is Paul talking from the perspective, remember, dying man, right? I'm I'm sure he got clues uh, that he was near the end. And uh, one more uh, interpretive clue here. When you look at the beginning of the book, you can also often look at the end of the book, and you'll find that the same thing is repeated there. So if you turn over your page, uh, or a few pages, chapter 4, verse 18, One of Paul's final verses there, he says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, that's the promise of life, right? Paul says, yeah, yeah, I'm going to die, but the Lord will bring me safely into his kingdom. Now, this morning, we're only going to get into the first seven verses, um, but I want to give a bit of a sneak peek Uh, of this gospel promise that Paul keeps referencing throughout the book. So I'm going to read verse 8. It's only going to be one sentence, but it's a fairly lengthy one. So verse 8, let's read chapter 1. He says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Now here's his explanation of the gospel. Who saved us, And called us to a holy calling, 
Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. Now I consider that, that section there, that's Paul's description. That's the foundation for Timothy. That's for the foundation for his ministry, and that's going to be the foundation for his suffering that he will enter into. Now let's look at verse 2. Paul says, To Timothy, my beloved child. Well, let's not skip over that. My beloved child. Well, Paul wasn't Timothy's father. Uh, in Acts 16, we get a little bit of background uh, about Timothy's father. It says, a Acts 16.1, A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. So the assumption there is Timothy's father was not a believer. He did not follow God. And so we see Timothy did not have a spiritual father until Paul came along. And then he says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now again, this is a fairly common uh, theme in Paul's letters. He often just says, grace and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And now he adds mercy. And I think this is his fatherly heart coming out to Timothy. Right? Think of where Timothy is at. He's without his mentor. Right? Paul is his mentor. That's his spiritual leader, the man he looks up to. That guy's in prison. And now Timothy's here. He's still running the church in Ephesus. And so Timothy is in a hard spot. And Paul knows that Timothy is going to face opposition, persecution, and division within the church. And probably he has already faced many of those things. And Paul is saying, may God grant you everything you need. Right? Grace, mercy, and peace. This is Paul's prayer for Timothy, applying the benefits of the gospel to him. Now let's move on to verse 3 and 4. He says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. And notice that great love that is in between them. He says, he remembers, your I remember your tears, Timothy. That's, I, I think, talking about their departure, which we read about in Acts. They kneeled together, they prayed together, they, they were weeping, right? There was a very good chance they would never see each other again. That was a very hard departure. And this is a great love that exists between them, and that fuels Paul's desire to see Timothy again. We see this throughout the book. He says, Timothy, come and see me. Right, later in the book, he says, come and see me before winter. Right, there's an urgency. Again, Paul knows his time's not long. But he longs to see Timothy. Now, I believe that this is a really good picture of the familial nature of the church. Now, I want you to consider something. I think we get that reunion that Paul longed for every week. Right? We come together, we gather as the saints. We see each other, uh, we can worship God together. Uh, 
a few years ago. Uh, we had that challenged by our civil government, right? They wanted to shut that down. And it became sweeter once it all of a sudden became more difficult, right? When Paul and Timothy can't see each other, uh, they really, really longed for that. Consider also the uh, analogies that Scripture uses to describe the body of the church, right? Members of the same body, uh, literal body. Uh, we are stones of a building being built up together in Christ. Uh, and then just this imagery of brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers. We are meant to be a family. And so I invite you to ask, consider your role. How can you serve this family? For the older ones, right? how can you disciple the younger ones around you? For the younger ones, who can you learn from? How can you serve and respect your elders in the body? Now, as we saw, Paul was praying for Timothy. We should also ask ourselves, do we pray for our brothers and sisters in the faith? I believe there's always blessings that God is ready and willing to give to his people if they would just ask. If you think about how Jesus talks about prayer, right? ask anything in my name and the Father will give it to you. Or in uh, Matthew chapter 5, uh, God says, even an earthly father, he's not going to give a serpent if his, his son asks for bread. How much more your father in heaven will give good things to those who ask him. And so I invite you, uh, on behalf of your brothers and sisters, ask God that he would grant them those good things. We can pray for our brother and sister's sanctification. We can pray for their love of their family. We can pray for their love of God. We can pray for their joy in God, for their endurance in hardship. Again, God is loving and is willing to answer prayers. Let us be asking for each other. Now, there's another uh, part in verses 3 to 5 that I want you to notice. Uh, I'll read out verse 5. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. So this idea is the source of faith. Uh, Paul's bringing in a bunch of different uh, areas uh, that Timothy has received faith. First of all, there's Paul, right? He says, Timothy, you're my beloved child. Paul is the one that Timothy is learning from. And then Paul brings in his ancestors, right? I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors. And then Paul brings in Timothy's ancestors, Lois and Eunice. Now the question is why? Why is he talking about Paul's ancestors? Why is he talking about his ancestors? Well, I think there's a few reasons. One, uh, Timothy's in Ephesus. Ephesus is this mixed bag of Jews and Gentiles, uh, Christians, pagans, and then all kinds in between. And a common early church temptation that we see is questioning Christianity, right? Who was Jesus? Was he the Messiah? And am I following God if I follow Jesus? Right, that was the question. Is Jesus a continuation of the worship of the one true and living God? Or is this a departure? Right, if, if Jesus was wrong about who he said he was, well, he claimed to be one with God. So that was the real answer. 
And I believe what Paul's doing here in bringing back the faith of his ancestors and Timothy's ancestors is saying, Timothy, you don't need to worry. Uh, we're in line with the prophets of old when we worship Christ. Right? We're not departing from the worship of the one true God. Right? We are in line uh, with the God of the Old Testament. So I think that would be a great comfort to Timothy. Um, another reason, uh, the more that you're reminded that you have received something, uh, the less tempted you are to become arrogant about it. So I think this could be used as uh, a battle against pride, right? Timothy received much. He had a faithful mother, faithful grandmother. Now he had a faithful spiritual father. And I think we can always use that reminder, right? We have been given so much from God. Uh, let us not be tempted to think that we have uh, in some way developed it on our own, right? God has given us so much. But now let's notice something. I'll ask the question, whose faith did Timothy have? Whose faith? Was it his mother's? Or was it his grandmother's? There's someone who's at the conference. He knows. Yeah, look at the text. Verse 5. I am reminded of your sincere faith. Now, kids and teens, this is for you. you. Now, you may have wonderful parents. Timothy had a faithful mother, and she taught him well. But her faith didn't save Timothy. Right? Timothy had his own sincere faith. It was taught by his mother, but he was not automatically in Christ because of her. He needed Christ as well. And so I hope the children and teens growing up in this church will be able to say, uh, my parents had faith. My parents taught me the gospel. But you must recognize that God calls each of us to repent of our own sins and to trust in Christ. That applies to young and old. And your parents cannot do that for you. And you can fool them, but you cannot fool God. God will not accept the answer in heaven if you say, well, my parents had faith. Isn't that good enough? No. God calls everyone to repent of their sins and to have faith in Christ. Now, parents, uh, don't be mistaken here. You must recognize the great role that you still play in your children's lives. There is a line of faith that can be traced through generational faithfulness. But you must let your kids know uh, that they need their own faith. Uh, they, need, they have their own need for Christ. And as a parent, it is important to remember that God blesses your children through both your teaching and your example. And I know that is, that is a hard thing as a parent. It's a great responsibility. Uh, but you also must remember that there is grace and mercy and peace when you fail and when you fall short. And in particular, uh, I think this passage can be an encouragement for women with unbelieving husbands or with absent husbands. Right? Take hope. God can use your faithfulness just like he did with Lois and Eunice. Let's move on to verse 6 and 7. He says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, 
which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. He says, for this reason, what reason was that? It's because you have the true faith of God, now fan into flame that gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So fan into flame. There's quite the picture. Has anyone tried to start a fire uh, with a flint stick? It's, it's pretty difficult. Right? You get that one little ember, and now you have to try and fan that into flame. And it, it works, but it's hard. And as, as you do get it going, uh, it gets easier. Right? The fire uh, is going, you just keep putting on your little twigs. You keep feeding the fire. And that's a perfect picture uh, for what Paul is telling Timothy to do. Saying, keep, keep putting sticks on that fire. Right? Keep fanning into flame that gift that God has given you. Right? Look at all the great blessings that you have, my son. And for this reason, keep fanning into flame. It's this idea that uh, it has to keep happening. Right? Just saying fan into flame doesn't quite do it justice. It's keep fanning into flame. It's not a one-time thing. It must, uh, must be done continually. Now let's ask again, context. How does context help us understand Paul's words? Well, let's think of the story behind the text again. Right? This is a real person writing to another real person. So step into Timothy for a moment. Right? Paul is Timothy's mentor. He's now in prison. Timothy's left running the church. And Paul says, Timothy, I see that you have a sincere faith. Right? You have the gift of God. And I was there. I laid my hands on you. I think this is encouragement from Paul to Timothy, saying, son, you can do this. Right? You've been given the gift of God. And now in verse 7, uh, he extends those, that list of things that Timothy has received from God. He says, now you have the Spirit. Right? The Spirit does not allow us to be cowards or to avoid our duty as ministers. Right? We have the power of God. We have the love of God and we have self-control in our ministries. Timothy, you have all those things. And now keep fanning that into flame as you serve. Now I want us to consider, uh, though Paul writes to Timothy, right? this is a, a pastor writing to another pastor, uh, eventually we want to ask, but what can we learn here? Right? We're a congregation. We're not all pastors. What can we learn well, we know from other parts of Scripture that those who have faith, uh, we read that actually in our congregational reading, those who have faith have the Spirit of God. And that same Spirit does not fill us with fear either. We do that on our own. Uh, rather, the Spirit fills us with power and love and self-control. But in the same way that Timothy had to keep fanning that into flame, uh, the gift that he was given, so we need to fan into flame uh, the gift that we have been given. You may not be a pastor, uh, but God gives various gifts to the body that they may serve the body. And those gifts can be snuffed out, ignored, and they will turn to ash, they will die out. Or they can be exercised and worked and developed. And so we return to uh, a similar question we asked before, where can you serve the body? 
Where can you serve your neighbor? How can you fan that gift into flame that God has given you? In Romans 12, verse 6, uh, you may turn there if you'd like, uh, Paul gives us a little list uh, of gifts for the service of the body. Romans 12. Romans 12, verse 6, he says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Right? That's fanning into flame. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, Then verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Brothers and sisters, may we continue to serve each other using that which God has given us for the good of one another. Now in the already given applications, Uh, serving the body, praying for each other, family life at home. We must always remember that the foundation of all those things is the gospel. And there's, uh, in verse 7, there's one more uh, application I want to draw out, and that's God's spirit as given to Christians as a gift of the gospel. So firstly, that should give us hope, not fear. Right? What fear does is it takes a future bad scenario and it applies it to the present. And so now you're fearful of something that might happen in the future. And uh, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, each day has enough trouble of its own. You don't need to worry about tomorrow. Um, what hope does is it's actually the opposite. Right? It takes a future good scenario and it applies it to the present, and now you're feeling better because of something that's going to happen in the future. But now the difference is that when you hope in the gospel, your hope is 100% sure. Right? It's not a hope that something might happen good in the future. This is a sure hope. Right? So when you hope in the promise of life, you can be sure that you will experience that one day. And so I invite you, when you are uh, in a spot where fear is starting to take over, uh, switch that around and start thinking about the eternal hope of the life in Christ that you have. Surely that is better than uh, our daily uh, fears that overcome us. Uh, The second point is the power of God is in the Spirit. God's Spirit is given as a gift, and that gives us the power of the Spirit. Now, in the context, uh, if, we, if we would be uh, preaching through this, we would see this next week, uh, but you won't, so I'll tell you now. Verse 8, look at suffering and the gospel and the relationship to the power of God. It says, do not be ashamed, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So we see that the gospel is what enables us to suffer well. Now, this is for gospel suffering, 
And that's what Paul's talking to Timothy about. When people persecute you for Christ, uh, whatever, you're taking insults for Christ, uh, the gospel is what you're supposed to focus on. That's going to help you to suffer well. Now, the reality for most of us is that we don't suffer for the gospel, right? Maybe you take an insult. Maybe people shun you a little bit if you uh, say something about God. Um, but that's, that's pretty minor. So we, we want to ask this question. What about regular suffering? Right? What if I'm suffering, but it has nothing to do with the gospel? Right? We get sick. Uh, we have problems at work. All kinds of different issues and trials that come our way. Can this text help us in those things? Well, I'd like to ask you, when you're suffering and when you're uh, going through something hard, what kind of attitude would glorify God? Would grumbling do it? I hope that's an easy question. <laughs> right? That's what the Israelites did in, uh, in Egypt as they were going out of Egypt. They grumbled against God. God called them rebels. So it's not grumbling. So then what kind of attitude would glorify God? Right? It would be one of thankfulness, one of praising him. Now, how could we do that? Why would we do that when we're suffering? Why would we praise God and thank God while we're suffering? It's because we have the gospel. And the gospel is greater than all our suffering. Right? Christ is more precious uh, than anything in this world could take away. And so, I invite you, when you are in a tough time, whatever it is, you can look to Christ. You can look to the gospel. You look to the hope of the promises of God. And that will give you hope. That doesn't mean that we don't have sorrow. We still have sorrow. But we have sorrow mixed with joy because we remember what God has done for us in the gospel. Now, the third thing uh, that God's Spirit uh, gives us as a gift of the gospel is the love of the Spirit. We know that Timothy would need the love of the Spirit to minister well in the face of all the things that he's going to go through. Paul tells us love covers a multitude of sins. I believe unity in the body comes through love, right? Forbearance, loving. Grace, mercy, and peace in the body happen through the love of the body. Love must permeate all that we do in and for the body. And the last one is the self-control of the Spirit. I'll just mention two, two brief ways that the Spirit helps us in self-control. The first one is uh, the negative aspect, is keeping sin under control. Right? The Spirit, uh, by the Spirit, we are to put to death the deeds of the body. He helps us uh, as we are tempted. He will provide that way of escape. And then the other way uh, is our pursuit of God, the positive aspect. The self-control of the Spirit helps us pursue God daily. And we must use that self-control uh, when we are not wanting to read our Bibles. We're not wanting to pray. Uh, we need that self-control of the Spirit to say, I need this. I need to go after God. I'm too weak without him. Brothers and sisters, I invite you to pray for these things. Ask God to fulfill uh, these gifts of the Spirit within your life. And as we increase fellowship with each other, pray for one another. Pray these things for one another. 
Let us build each other up in the body. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the gift of the body that we get to experience every week. Lord, we pray now that as we have heard your word, that you would help us to be faithful by your spirit. He gives us the strength to obey. May we be built up as a body as we seek to pray for one another, as we seek to serve each other with the gifts that you have given us. Lord, we thank you for the blessings that you provide in the body of Christ. We thank you that we can be a family. And we pray now that those realities, those truths, would be more and more descriptive of this church family uh, as we go. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.